You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Today we're diving back into our, our study in Acts. And so if you guys have Bibles, jump into Acts 13. We're going to be in the latter part of Acts chapter 13. But as we do this, a lot of people ask, hey, when are we going to be done with the book of Acts? We've been in this thing for like 10 years. That's what it feels like a little bit. But uh, we will kind of move through it this spring and, and come to see the, the story of the church kind of lived out throughout the rest of the spring. So we're, we're landing landing this spring in Acts. Uh, that's just for you to know. But, but truly what I'm excited about as we look at this latter half of this, this account of the church, it's fun to see moving into Paul's mission journeys. And as churches are planted all throughout uh, Asia and, and throughout the Roman Empire and, and into uh, other parts of their, what they understand their world to be really surrounding uh, the, what we now know as the Mediterranean Sea, that the, the, the God does incredible things through those churches. And as we kind of walk through each of those journeys and we see Paul go, go through some pretty incredible things in his journey and his missionary life life is seeing these churches get planted, there's, there's a, some great history there. And I think it's, there's learning that we have in scriptures that we need to hold to and say, hey, I know the book of Acts. I know the history of the church. Yet there's more than this that I always want to be encouraging us to, to, to feed on as well. That even in the midst of this historical book where he's telling the narrative and the story of the church, there's these beautiful nuggets that are right there in the midst of it that is for us today because this is really the launching of the church age, meaning this is the, the, the life of the church. We are still in that age. The church is still running. That church age will run until the return of Christ. And so, so much of what we see happen in, in these scriptures are things things that we can immediately take into our modern and, and up-to-date in this now context and live them out. And so today, in, in for as I studied, something jumped out off of these verses for me, and that's something I want to draw us to. And it encourages not only are we learning about this, this step or this phase or this portion of Paul's journey, but there's something in this that is just, the Spirit just brought out to me, and I want to point it out because I think it, it connects, I don't think, I know it connects to who we are. And what God's asking us to be a part of in his story, because this story is still alive, it's still active, it's still moving us forward. And so we're going to get into that in a moment. We're going to start in Acts chapter 13 and verse 13. But before I get there, um, if you guys, how many of you guys like Google? Everyone Google fans? Anyone not know who, what Google is or who Google is? Is Google a person? No one knows. There's this, all these memes and stuff about how things, like, just, they're not, that's not my job, I'm not going to do it. I started getting into this, this idea of, like, what's not my job, and, like, how does this connect, and the kind of creativity started popping up, and then all of a sudden, the Lord just kind of put things in front of me that I had to wrestle with, like, ah, that's someone else's job. That kept coming up for me this week, um, whether it, it was trash in a parking lot or, or snow being plowed or whatever it may be, oh, that's someone else's job. I feel like there's, there's places at home, maybe in your household, that you kind of get home and you look at things. I th probably for those of us that have kids in the house, we feel this a lot, that we go, oh, that's not my job. And we expect someone else in our house to do it. Maybe it's our spouse. Maybe it's our kids. 
In our house, I think it's, it's cleaning up after the dog, not inside the house, but outside the house. Um, yeah, anyone? So like you have that, but maybe it's also at work. You go to work and you're walking through and you're like, oh, that's not my job. Or you get frustrated at the people who think that like that's not my job and they don't actually get the job done. And so there's all these little things left out there. You guys ever feel that? Anyone? Yes, nodding. That's so good. So I've got a story for you I'm going to read. And then I've got some images for you just because I think it's funny. And it's 2022. We can be funny. That's not my job. This is a story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. He all slightly chuckled. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. And everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. How many of you guys feel like that? Like, that's just, the, I don't, yeah, there's the chuckle. That's at home. That's maybe in your marriages, maybe in friendships, maybe at work. And you kind of get out there. And we all have those things. Like, it's just, it's that someone else's job. And you kind of walk by certain things. And you realize, but that, like, someone's going to come along and, and get that done anyway. And we miss the opportunity to kind of participate and maybe clean things up or get things done. So there's, there's moments and times where that has a pretty big impact on our life. And so I've got some images I want to show you where it could impact us generally when someone else doesn't do what they don't think is their job. So the first one's this. Yeah, so it's, it's, line painting is like one of those interesting things. You ever actually seen line painters out there? Like it's one of those things that if you don't see, you wonder how it gets done. Um, but it does happen and there's, there's people out there in trucks that paint lines. And so you're driving down the line and all of a sudden there's a tree that's just falling. And instead of kicking it out of the way, I'll just move the line around that. So imagine driving down the road. Here's the importance of this humorous picture. You're driving down the road and you're following the line. And all of a sudden you do this and there's a car coming. That could be, have bad consequences, don't you think? Here's another one <laughs> this one like okay it takes a little bit while to get that big bush out of the way but um seriously like and it, why is there a double yellow line next to a building also the question of the day okay one more this is one of my favorites yeah yeah that's not my job i'm not gonna pick that thing up but yeah, let's just run over it with the paint because that makes sense. That makes sense. So the next time you're driving down the, the road and you see a gap in the yellow lines, that was because someone said, that's not my job. And there was a dead possum in the way or in the South, a dead armadillo in the way. But we have these times in our lives that we approach these things and we look at life and we look at things in life and we say, hey, that's not my job or we think that and we just don't participate in something that would be potentially pretty simple to do, but could have a greater impact down the line. Now, these things are funny, but I think there's also times where it, gets, it can get serious. Some things, if they don't get done, something else will fall apart later on. But there's also the things, if, if we just don't choose to participate, we miss the opportunity about, of being a part of something that's bigger than us. And that's why I want to encourage us today that, that we get to be a part of something that's bigger than us and that we all have part of the story. We all have part of the job, so to speak. All right? So let's start uh, chapter 13 in Acts in verse 13. So we're picking this up uh, right after uh, the, the missionary journeys begin. And so we're stepping into this next phase, and, and we're going to go by this uh, little by little, chunk at a time, because uh, we're going to go all the way through the end of the chapter. 
So starting in verse 13, it says this. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, pause there. So there's some interesting things that are happening. It's a good historical account. So here in the book of Acts, we see something change. It's really subtle, but Luke points it out. Luke's a pretty detailed guy. He likes to put the details in so we know the full story. We go all the way back to the very first verses of the book of Acts. He makes that point. I want to draw out all the details so you see the story unfolding. And he does something right here, and that's this. Previous to this is Barnabas and Paul. We always hear it listed as they move into things. Barnabas and Paul went and did this. Barnabas and Paul said these things. Here, for the first time in Acts, we see that switch. And now it's Paul and his companions. And then through the rest of this chapter, we'll see that Paul and Barnabas. Now you say, Jason, what's the big deal? Like, who cares where that order is? It matters because what we begin to move through, we see Paul's missionary journey. We see the planning of churches that Paul later on through the New Testament is going to write all these letters to these churches to encourage them, to challenge them, to correct them. Paul's leadership is being raised up. And here's to a place to where that his words and his, his ministry has a, a, a really important value we pay attention to. He kind of takes that first leadership seat. But Barnabas doesn't just step into the shadows. He's still part of the journey. And this is what I love about Barnabas, moving into that quote-unquote second seat. Barnabas, his name means encourager. He's an encouragement. His whole goal in this, he went after Paul earlier on in Antioch. The the Antioch they're going to now is a different Antioch we saw a chapter ago. There's an Antioch in Syria, which is where we saw the missionary journey begin. This is Antioch in Pisidia. So if you kind of go up the coast of north of, of Pisidia or Syria and you take a left, you're going to end up in Antioch and Pisidia. If you look at a map, it's great. But Barnabas takes his role say, I want to encourage the ministry of Paul and what God promised and spoke into his life. He's turning that leadership over and saying, this is the man who's going to move the gospel through the rest of the world. God has set him apart for that. So Barnabas doesn't say, hey, I need to be the one in front. I need to be the one whose name is first. Barnabas says, I want to encourage what God has already done in Paul's life and move that forward. And I love that. And Luke notes that, that Paul's taking leadership here for for the launching of the church globally. And, And Barnabas gets to encourage that and empower Paul to do that as he moves forward, which is pretty awesome. So, I say that to say this, sometimes we may have that front seat. Sometimes we may take the second seat to encourage someone else to take the front seat and lead and see what God may do in their their lives and in ministry and for the church. It's pretty cool. But there's always a place. Even go to Paul's letter in Corinthians where he says, there's a place for everybody. We're all a part of the story. Whether you're a hand or an arm or a foot or an ear or an eye, there's something for you. Now, any one is more important than the other. But Luke brings that out. Here's another interesting thing about this, is that I love that Paul and Barnabas, they're, they're pretty well known in the area right now because of their ministry and what they're doing. 
And they come to the synagogue and they simply step into the synagogue and they sit down. They don't walk in and say, hey, I'm Paul. I'm here to do something awesome. Listen to what I have to say. Or Barnabas didn't come in and say, hey, I'm Barnabas. Here's Paul. You need to listen to this guy because he's the one that's going to do something right now and then the, the God is going to work through him in this way. They simply came in to a place of worship, to the church, and they sat down to participate in what was already happening. They themselves came in to worship. They themselves came in just to be a part of the church. They showed up to church that day to participate in what God was doing. And the leaders of that church went through uh, their normal flow where they, they read from the law and they read from the prophets. And there's something so powerful about this that they didn't have to like insert themselves into the conversation and say, hey, pay attention, I've got something really, really big to say. They came into the journey, into the life of this church to participate with it to do life, to do ministry, to do worship alongside of that church. They weren't pushy about it. They didn't make, make notion about it. They just wanted to do life with this church, and that they did. Then the leaders of the church recognized that they were there, and they said, hey, now that we've walked through this place of worship, would you guys come and encourage us? Do you have a word for us? And when they were invited to speak that word over that church, they responded with it. Sure, absolutely. So Paul stands up. And there's something that is happening here that, that is interesting. He, he stands up and he motions with his hand. He tries to calm things down. Now, there's something in culture here that sometimes church can be chaotic. It's not always as quiet as you are right now. <laughs> you know, which is really great. Thanks for listening. Um, but in this moment, we, we see Paul kind of having to calm the crowd. Maybe they're just having this, it's more of a conversational coffee shop kind of church that people are just chatting and drinking coffee and then the grinder's going off in the background and it's not quiet or subtle, it's just loud. And that why do we go to hang out at coffee shops? Because it's just always loud. But we go there and it's just, people are chatting and talking and that kind of seems to be the environment because Paul stands up and he calls attention and he motions with his hands to get everyone's attention and says, hey, let me encourage you with something. And so we have this environment. They've come to worship. He's asked to encourage the people. The word has been spoken. The word has been read. And so he stands up. He pulls their attention in. And this is what he said, starting in verse 17, or latter half of 16, verse 17. Paul stood up and motioned with his hand and said, men of Israel and all who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them. I love that. After about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After that, he gave them Saul, the son of Kish. Oh, sorry. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. 
And of this man's offspring, God brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, the sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and the rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. So Paul does something interesting here. He doesn't just come and present, because this is really the gospel story, what, he's, what he just shared. But he doesn't just come out and go after it and say, you know what? You killed the guy who came to save you. You're all sinners. And because you're sinners and you don't know the guy that came to save you, even though you've been, we've been talking about, you even just read from the book that prophesied about him, your future is glim. Because without Jesus, your eternity is separated from God. You don't get to be with God. In a modern day, it might be this, this really fiery preacher that says, if you don't know Jesus and you don't accept him, you're going to hell. That's the gospel. He didn't come at, the, come at it that way. Because Paul understands a couple of things. One, that the gospel story is so much more than just that. The gospel story is what we now see from the book of Genesis to Revelation. That there's a prophecy and a story of the person of Jesus that we see from the very, very beginning. All the prophets testified through the Old Testament of this coming Messiah, the Savior, that we just celebrated through Christmas. And there's people in that storyline, imperfect people, by the way, Saul, David, come on. Like, God used imperfect people to see his Messiah come in that way. That's a part of the gospel promise. But then he came and he fulfilled the promises of the prophet. And we have that promise today. Paul knew something as he approached his audience. He knew what they needed to hear before he started speaking. He approached them in a, in a storyline and in his encouragement with something that, that they knew was, was familiar to them. He didn't come out of the left field going, I have no idea what you're talking about. He stepped into life with them, just like he stepped into the synagogue and just sat down to worship with them. He stepped into life. Here's things that you know. Here's the words that you just read. Here's the promises that have been given by the prophets from the days of old to up till now. But he also didn't sugarcoat it. Because <laughs> he, he points out to them that, well, just as you read, every, you read every Sabbath, um, the ones who condemned him, some of those are sitting in the room, are the ones that also helped fulfill the promise of the coming Messiah. He didn't sugarcoat it. 
But he started out saying, I understand who you are. I understand your story. I understand where you're coming from. And he kind of dives into the gospel story from that point. He doesn't just jump to the very end. He starts at the beginning and, and walks them through, encourages them through that story. He speaks that truth to them. But he leads it very clearly to the work of Jesus on the cross. He leads it very clearly to the fact that there's brokenness in this story, that, that we're a part of the problem as much as we are a part of the salvation, that, that we're the ones who, who, who kind of led the, the, the storyline out to see Jesus put on the cross in the first place that broken people are a part of the journey of the story of, of the good news of, of Jesus. And he, he takes that all through. And how there's this negative part of this narrative, but there's also this really positive part because Jesus answers the negative. And that's the, the part of the story that we can't forget. The gospel. God created us to be in relationship with him. That relationship got broken because of sin. That brokenness separated us from God, that we can't be in his presence any longer because of sin. Sin and holiness can't exist together. But God reconciled that problem by giving us his, his perfect son to walk with us, to show us life, to, to love us, to heal us, to mend us, and to give us a promise. That promise is here, but also it is to come because he promised to come back, leaving us the Holy Spirit. That is the story. There's a problem, but there's also a resolution through Jesus. Now, it comes out pretty simply off the tongue, but it's not always that simple to understand. We've got to walk through the journey. Paul understood that as he approached the people that he was encouraging in the church. But he didn't beat around the bush. He made sure that they understood what he was talking about. And then he goes on to this, starting in verse 32. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers that he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus also as also it was written in the second Psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David, speaking of Jesus. And therefore he says also in another Psalm, in Psalm 16, you will not let your holy one see corruption. And then Paul clarifies something here because he knows these people are smart and they like, well, David wrote that Psalm. So he's talking about David. Well, Paul clarifies that starting in verse 36. For David, after he had served, his, served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. So he takes the story and David's words saying, this isn't about David, it's about Jesus because Jesus rose from the from the dead. David did not. So let it be known, starting verse 38, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from the law of Moses. Paul moves from telling the story of the gospel to inviting them to understand that the gospel is for them, that believing in Jesus frees them from their sin. 
and gives them salvation. He invites them into this amazing relationship with God and says, this is for you. This is for you. This whole story, even the horrific acts of the cross are for you. Even in the things you don't understand, the things that are right in front of you, the Spirit's gonna work through that and bring clarity and bring understanding to you. And that work is done through the person of Jesus. He makes this invitation clear that what the work of Jesus is all about and what he and Barnabas are all about. And then starting in verse 40, he goes on and he kind of brings a reality to the picture once again. That you have this invitation that, that through believing in Jesus, you are free from everything that could hold you back. But then he says this, verse 40, beware therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am, a doing, uh, I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. And as they went out, well, let's pause there. He kind of brings this reality into this space and he warns them. You have this incredible story that we've known. We, we just read this morning from the law and from the prophets. We know it, it to be true because we've seen it played out in, in, in the story of Jesus, the birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. And that it was for you that when you believe on the truth of the person of Jesus, you receive, but beware. Because you just if you just get caught and you miss what is right in front of you, if you believe all of the other things that are trying to lead you away from the truth, if you don't take the time just to sit in the truth for a bit, to, to learn it, to understand it, to grasp it, to, to take that journey through it, you're gonna miss out. And if you miss out, the reality is your separation from God will continue. Paul didn't want that for these people. Even though he knew, and we're gonna see this in just a minute, even though he knew some of them were rejected, he didn't want, he wanted to warn them. It's like, if, if you reject this, you're gonna miss something that's so amazing. If you reject this, you're gonna miss something that you know and that you're wanting so badly, but you're not understanding what it's about. So let's take the time to, to dive in, to dig in, to do life with it a little bit more so that as we understand it, it becomes alive in us, it breathes life into us. And it takes a, takes a journey to get there. It really does. So he brings out this warning, he makes it real, and he encourages, don't miss out on what's happening right in front of you. And then we see the story unfold, which is pretty neat and hard all at the same time. Verse 32, and as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them in the next Sabbath. He's leaving and, and just laid out the gospel, laid out the story, and they're like, Paul, come back again. Like what you said, we want to learn more. For some of them, they probably like, I don't fully get it. Like, I hear you, but I'm intrigued by it, so I'm gonna keep coming back. From, will you come back and give us more the next Sabbath? Will you come and, and teach us and encourage us more? 
And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God, continue the journey of understanding the nature and the beauty of God. Verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. I love that part because the people that were there that Sabbath did something very interesting. They clearly went out and invited people to come back and sit with them. You should have been at church last week. This guy came in and he said some crazy things and and brought some light to things. I didn't understand. You need to come hear what he has to say. And so they invited their friends and their neighbors and their coworkers to come with them. And so the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you since you thrust it aside and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many were appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirring up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But Paul and Barnabas, they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And so in the midst of them telling this story, in the midst of all the people that came to the Sabbath the first time, they invited their friends and their neighbors. And then the Jews, the people that were like, these are our people. They're supposed to come to church to listen to us. They're supposed to come to church and give us their respect and give us their leadership and give us their attention. They got a little upset about it. And then they started stirring things up and saying, don't listen to these guys. What they're saying is, is a bunch of, of garbage. They're, they're heretics. They don't know what they're talking about. They're taking the truths of the law and throwing it away. That's not what it's about. We need to, pers- we need to get them out of here. They're liars. They're trying to deceive you with these stories. But what's interesting is Paul's leading them back to the story that these Jews are saying this is what is truth. He's trying to draw the, the two things together and give them the full picture of the story, not just the one little glimpse of the story. And even in the midst of that, Paul recognizes, you know what, guys, ladies, if you're not willing to push past that wall, you're never gonna hear the truth of the gospel. You're never gonna understand it. And so we're gonna focus on those that are in the room celebrating because this is good news for them. That happened to be the Gentiles in this situation because Paul's missionary journey is starting to lead them to all the parts of the world to reach the Gentiles. And these Jews are like, that, they don't matter. They're not important. They're not a part of the chosen people. But Paul's reminding them, but that's part of the promise that he's come not only for the chosen people, but for the whole world. That's the beauty of what God is doing. He's redeeming the most broken people, the most, the most people that are far out, and he's bringing them all together for fellowship and response and worship of, of a one almighty God. And so if they're the ones that are going to hear, I'm going to be willing to go to them and let them hear the powerful word of God, the truth of the gospel. 
And of course, those people are celebrating because you, you came for us. You gave us a word that no one ever else wanted us to hear. They wouldn't even give us the time of day, but you're giving us the time of day. You're stepping into our world and understanding where we're coming from. You're giving us truth and hope and grace. That's awesome. But in the story and in the process, there's a lot of fruit because we see these people that are, are choosing and knowing the belief in Jesus changes lives. And there's fruit to that. It's beautiful. But there's also a lot of frustration in the journey of sharing the gospel because some people will turn away from it. And some people will reject it. And some people will say, no, you guys are idiots. You're foolish. Get out of town. Go away. We don't want you. And there's something really interesting that Paul and Barnabas do. We've seen Jesus do this. And it's one of the hardest things in scripture that, that I wrestled with personally. In verse 51, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and moved on. <laughs> they shared the gospel the people didn't want to hear it. They said, get out of town. And so they left. They shook the dust off their feet. Now, that's traditional. We even see that all the way back into the Old Testament of a sense that when people aren't willing to listen and the, the job's done, we, there's nothing more we can do. We're going to move on to do things where there is more to do. That's hard to wrestle with when it comes to being a follower of Jesus and feeling the call of telling people about Jesus, the sharing life and hope. When do you do that? When is that the moment that you say, all right, you have to choose to believe. It's not something I can do. And I think that's a big part of it. We all have to recognize that it's not my power that I help people understand it and know personally the truth of God's word. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's, a, that's God's work. Now, here's the beautiful thing is that even in the midst of God's work doing that, he allows me to be a part of that. He wants me to be a part of that. But at times, we have to make the hard decision to shake the dust off our feet and move on. Now, the question of when, I don't know if we have a really great answer of when that is. When do we stop pushing? When do we stop sharing? When do we stop? When do we just move into a place of prayer? When do we just move into a place of God? You've got this. I'm going to trust you with it. But it's pretty clear in this story that when the people pushed them out of town, when there was a physical removal, they just said, all right, I'm not going to fight you because the gospel is not about fighting you. The gospel is about loving you. And if you don't want me here, I'll step out of the way. And I really do believe this about Paul and Barnabas, that they trusted the work of the spirit and the church in Antioch to see the ministry continue. They didn't need it to be about them. They were able to plant a seed and then trust the work of the spirit in that place would move the people that God was gonna move to understanding the work of Jesus in their lives at the right time for the right people in the right place. And they trusted that. And they moved on. So even in sharing the gospel, yep, we're gonna experience fruit. We're also gonna experience frustration. Sometimes we're gonna feel like that's failure. 
But just because it didn't necessarily all come to fruit for you now, and it's frustrating, it may come to fruit for someone else later. And we just get to plant the seed. So this story is really awesome as we walk down through it. And we see how the example of Paul and Barnabas, and this is what's for us today, church. They stepped into life with people just to do life with them. They just came and sat down and said, hey, let's do life together. Let's do church together. Let's do this thing together. And then they kind of entered into the world where they said, hey, this is where you are and where you're coming. Let us speak into that. Let's talk about what you understand and what you know a little bit. Almost a little bit of like priming the pump. Hey, hey, if we can do relationship and help you understand that we, we are with you in this, it's gonna open up some doors later. But they were intentional about saying, I do want you to understand and know Jesus. And know the realities of the not knowing Jesus and what that looks like in your future, but it's a promise and there's hope and there's grace in that. And it's, it's just believing on the person of Jesus and he will do great things in and through you. And knowing and moving forward and saying, just because it was like, got a little frustrating here, we're not done yet. We're gonna keep moving forward with what God has for us. I wanna highlight verse 47. And that's just gonna come up on, on the screen. And this is what, it's been sitting on me so much this week. Because I think this is where we get lost and we think, oh, this is someone else's job. This is Pastor Keith's job or Pastor Jason's job or any of the elders. This is their job. Or this is some other evangelist. This is a, the next Billy Graham's job. This is that guy or that gal who runs that nonprofit. It's their job. I don't have the gift of evangelism. It's that evangelist person's job. And we kind of just put it aside and we're like, hey, I'm gonna come to church and, you know, and I'm, I'm gonna hold babies, which is all good. Like, don't get me wrong, please do that. But there's something in here that I just really feel we need to hear. Verse 47, For the, so the Lord commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Here's what I encourage you with today, church. I believe that God has made you a light for the Gentiles, a light for this world. I believe he has put and positioned you in places in life, in work, in family. He's put you in your house for a purpose and a reason to be a light in that space for the gospel. And guess what? You don't have to be perfect along the way. Because if you go back, even in, in Paul's story, there's a lot of imperfect people along the way a lot of imperfect people along the way, but God still used them to reveal his faithful promise in Jesus. He wants to use us. He has set you aside. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians later on to the church in Corinthians this. 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 18. All this is from God, whom through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. I love that verse. We are the ambassadors. We are the voice of Jesus to the world. We are the, the Jesus with skin on, let's say it that way, to our world. 
And it's not just about what we do. We go willingly, we open our mouths, we share the story of God, but then God makes the appeal through us. I love that part because that removes all the things I need to know how to pray right. I need to know the Bible straight up from beginning to end. I need to be able to say it in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and Latin. I need to like get it all down. I need all theology stuff. I got all Keith's books in my head. It's good. It's a catalog of Keith's library, right? And you got, I got it. Like I'm good. No, not that any of that is bad. If you want to read and learn, go for it, dig in, dive in, but you don't need it to be an ambassador for Jesus. Go willingly, go faithfully, step into life with people, share the story of God, which you are included in this story. Invite them to, and what that means for them, that believing in Jesus changes lives for eternity. And as you share those stories, as you share life with people, God will make the appeal through you does that relieve some pressure, I hope? That God's going to do a work through you. You can give that burden to him and allow him to do that work through you. But there's another part of that that's pretty awesome. I can release that burden and that feels good that I don't feel the responsibility. But wait, wait, God wants to use me? Broken little me to do something powerful? Yes, he does. And he will. And he will. Because he's a good, good God. And he loves to take broken things and make them whole. And he loves to use them as part of his ever ongoing and beautiful story of truth in the gospel. So church, I wanna encourage you this morning that as we see this launch, this second phase of, of the ministry of the gospel move to the whole world in the, in the book of Acts, right in the midst of this, know that you're part of that story. You're a part of that process. That when you walk out of these doors, Jesus wants to use you, the spirit wants to use you and he will speak through you to bring life to others around you. Sometimes it's gonna be fruitful. Sometimes it's gonna be frustrating. Sometimes you're gonna have to go, I've done my part, I need to move on. Sometimes you're gonna be the front seat. Sometimes you're gonna be the back seat. It doesn't matter. We get to go faithfully and be a part of the beautiful work of God's story. And all the time we have to accept the fact I'm broken, but man, God's gonna do something powerful through me. It's that sovereign idea of who God is that he can take the most broken things and do great things through them and in them. We're gonna continue in worship in a moment. Uh, Tyler and Ashley come back up. But I wonder where we need to go even as we look ahead into this new year coming up that I believe that God is asking us and calling us to be a part of his story, first and foremost, to understand what he has done for you. That he has stepped into your brokenness and said, I can fix that, I can mend that, I can heal that. I want to be in relationship with you through the power of my birth, through the power of my life, through the power of my death, and through the power of my resurrection, I can redeem all that is broken. Because I wanna be in relationship with you for eternity. I wanna do life with you. I wanna step into your world and I want you to be a part of my story. It's so beautiful but I wanna do so much more because I wanna use you to speak through you 
so that others can know that my story is for them as well. But at times we have to lay down ourselves and say, okay, God, I trust you in this. I don't have all the answers and I'm still trying to figure it out, but I trust that you can use that space. I'm feeling really pretty good about where I am with you, God, and, and I wanna go out. Like, just show me who and how I'm ready to go and God's gonna use that space. Or maybe it's, hey, God, I've been through the broken. And I, I, I just feel, I kind of feel just tired and, and complacent and, and just comfortable right now. And, and I just need to be moved out of that space. And I wonder where we are this morning. And I wonder if we're willing to say, okay, God, take it. Take all of it and move it forward. I don't get it. I don't know it. Or maybe I'm just tired of it. But Lord, I come before you and trust in your sovereign hand to do great things through it. I believe that's what Paul and Barnabas has started to show us in these verses. And we're gonna see that unfold through the latter part of this book. That there's always gonna be fruit and frustration, but the gospel is the foundation we stand on. It's for us, but it's also through us. So will you stand with us and let's just worship. Let's just come before a sovereign God and say, God, I don't get it all, but I bring it all to you to worship you and to see you do great things through me.